Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey, everyone. We have best-selling author, the co-founder of Keon, and host of the Ben Greenfield podcast, the one and only Ben Greenfield, back on the show to talk all things cold. Yes, it is winter, it is cold, and we're <laughs> going to embrace the cold weather and all of its glorious health benefits here on the show today. Except for everybody listening in from Miami and Dubai, right? <laughs> Except for our friends in those warmer climates, and I'll be in Miami in a few weeks, so that sounds lovely. But we're here in the cold. So, Ben, let's start there. You know, anyone who follows you on social media know that you spend a lot of time outside. And also a lot of time outside when it's cold and working outside, working out outside when it's cold. So why is that important to you? Why is being outside in, in nature, no matter how cold or how warm it is, how, why is that important to you? Well, I don't even like the cold. I mean, like, <laughs> I should say like, I didn't like the cold. And it's kind of like the more you learn about how something is good for you it grows on you it's like i didn't like brussels sprouts or asparagus or broccoli for a really long time either but gosh you know you get a little extra virgin olive oil like some really good salt and maybe a nice balsamic vinaigrette on there eventually it kind of grows on you you know if you you take it right and it's kind of like cold too i mean if you take it right you have the right mindset it grows on you and when you pair that with knowing all the benefits and how good it is for you eventually it turns from a hate relationship into more of like a love hate relationship my speaking of warm climates father is uh is a guy whose whole family is originally from miami and and he was never really into the cold and he, the the winters where i grew up in idaho were always just so bitter cold my dad would always be like i hate the cold and you always want to go back to miami when you get cold outside and I, th I think for me, like, I'm not one of those guys who's like got this robust, rich Northern European heritage where my ancestors were always playing around the ice and the snow. And I grew up like a Scandinavian school child walking out, you know, barefoot in the icy tundra or something like that. It, it just, it wasn't really something that I kind of grew up with. And yet I... I, I got into triathlon, as you know, you and I have talked about this on other podcasts. I was big in endurance sports and you know, with triathlon, you just, you, you have no choice. Like you got to put on that freaking wetsuit and sometimes not a wetsuit. And now you got to race, no matter what temperature in the water is, they don't cancel those races unless the water gets ungodly cold and you got to train also in the cold. So I used to go, I didn't know anything about cold thermogenesis or whatever, you know, Wim Hof was sexy or tried to, I didn't know about any benefits of cold. All I knew was, dude, I got to go swim in the cold again. I got to be standing on the pool edge at 6 a.m. at the cold YMCA when it's 40 degrees outside. I got to be jumping in the Spokane River in April to get ready for this race. And eventually I just kind of, I got used to the cold, but for me, it wasn't getting into it because it was good for me or because it paired well with my new breathwork app or whatever. I just I had to trade for a triathlon. I had to swim. I had to get in shape and I had to swim in open water and I had to swim year round to be able to train. So, so I kind of got into just swimming in cold water and then later got to know the benefits, which honestly made it a little bit more mentally acceptable for me to do, or at least that it removed a, a few of the mental blocks, you know, for my skinny ass to go jump in cold water. Cause let's face it, I'm not one of those polar bear swimmers with the massive amounts of 
round stat and like clavicles, you know, a big waist and all the padding. Like I, I get cold, like don't fool yourself. If you see me sitting there in an ice bath, smiling on Instagram, you know, inside, I'm like, this is cold. So anyways, though, so fast forward to, to now. And I've got, you know, I got a cold plunge right outside the door of my office that I keep at 32 degrees. I have one of those endless swimming pools that you can swim in that I keep at like 40 to 50 degrees, depending on the time of year. I just don't heat it. So whatever the ambient temperature outside happens to be is what it's at. Like right now, it's actually at about 38. And then I even, for anyone who visits my house, I've, I've got a private cold tub for the guests out in the guest house, one of those big barrels that they can climb into. So there's cold all over my property, not to mention just the, the snow and the ice that's outside right now. And the ambient air temperature, which is also quite good for you. Right, right now, my office is about 60 degrees, right? So I keep my house pretty cold too. I guess the question is why the hell would I do all of those things to surround myself with cold water and cold air and opportunities to go swim in the cold or bathe in the cold or, you know, why do I not take cold showers? I just don't turn the water to hot when I take a shower. I just said my natural reaction to getting into a shower is it's just always cold water. I would give myself the option to turn the water to hot unless I've been snowboarding all day or something like that. And I just, I need to take a hot shower. So when you step back and look at why somebody would do this, well, there are so many benefits to subjecting the body to consistent small doses of cold stress that it's almost shocking that more people don't utilize this as a health strategy, even over and above the consideration of like supplements and medications and definitely on par with things like exercise or sauna or walking or subjecting the body to heavy loads or any of those other things that we do to make the body more resilient and more strong. When you are born and you are, let's say, whatever at home after your home birth, if your parents were hippies like that, or if you're born in a hospital or whatever, and the doctor slaps your face or shook a little bit to wake you up as you come out take that first big intake of breath that's your mammalian dive reflex it's that initial intake of oxygen and when that happens your vagus nerve the main nerve that kind of starts right up in your your cranial nerve root and travels to and innervates all the other organs of your body that thing gets woke up it gets what we call that in 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 nervous system physiology your vagus nerve becomes toned when your vagus nerve becomes toned it's able to more effectively communicate with the rest of the organs, the heart, the lungs, the diaphragm, the brain, but it also is able to respond to stress in a far more refined way. You may hear a lot of times these days, people talking about heart rate variability as a way to measure your stress load. It's the delicate interplay between the sympathetic fight flight nervous system and the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. Well, ideally, your heart rate can respond to cues from your nervous system driven by your vagus nerve and go up a little bit and down a little bit with micro fluctuations in response to stress throughout the entire day. And if that's occurring, that means that there's a very slight beat to beat variability that's constantly fluctuating throughout the day. And if you have that, it's called high heart rate variability. And often that's measured as not only a metric of how recovered you are how prepared you are to train, how good your night of sleep the night before was, but also how resilient you are to stress, how able you are to 
upregulate your sympathetic nervous system when you're too rested and digested and you need to downregulate parasympathetic nervous system, or probably more importantly for most people, how equipped you are to downregulate the sympathetic nervous system when it's causing your cortisol to go up and epinephrine and adrenaline to be released, the blood vessels to constrict, like how capable are you of responding to that and making micro adjustments to your physiology to be able to decrease your propensity to using the highly scientific term, freak out when stress gets thrown at you. Well, cold and cold exposure, particularly cold water immersion, and particularly cold water immersion for the face, the head, and the neck is one of the best ways to tone that vagus nerve and to allow your nervous system to have that type of resilience. So it, it, in my opinion, top of the totem pole for some type of daily cold therapy, cold shower, cold water face dunk, plunge into an icy cold river or lake or ocean or pool is you're making yourself more resilient. It's kind of that concept of harder to kill, but not just harder to kill physically, harder to kill mentally, harder to kill emotionally, harder to kill from a stress standpoint. So that's really one of the best reasons to engage in a regular, consistent, kind of like microdose cold exposure. And that's important because a lot of people, they'll see folks like me sitting in a cold tub, again, on Instagram, where they'll see, you know, Wim Hof meditating for hours on a mountaintop on Shia ice or whatever. And they say, gosh, hey, where am I going to free up 20 to 30 minutes a day to physically, much less mentally, fill my bathtub with ice and go get cold. But really, most of the benefits of cold come from anywhere from 30 seconds to a maximum of about 10 minutes of that brief, intense cold exposure, preferably at a temperature that's under 55 degrees. That's kind of like the sweet spot. And, and the colder the water is, the better it seems to, to have an effect. And that's much more sustainable for people and also results in far less of the potential for excessive stress causing damage to the human body. There are many people who, who lift weights too much, who run too much, who do too much sauna and become electrolyte depleted, who get too much uh, sunlight because we hear sun is good and get UVA and UV exposure to the skin. That is an excess, right? So cold falls under the category of what we call hormetic stressor. Meaning small amounts consistently will make you stronger. Huge doses every once in a while or huge doses every day can threaten to hurt you, can threaten to give you illness, cause your immune system to become a little bit weaker and essentially stress you out too much. So we're talking about small intermittent cold exposures. And I, I can tell you some of the other benefits in addition to nervous system toning, but before I do, I feel like I'm being one of those interviewees who's like talking and not giving you a chance to, to say anything. So, so you want me to keep well, going or? Well, I, I love it. And I will point out to our listeners, you are very on brand. We are doing this interview as I am sitting in my, my very comfortable chair, but you are on your treadmill walking. So I love that we're talking about bathing. So think about bathing in, in, in two different ways. One literal to the, the bathing we experience every day. And then there's also nature bathing. And so literal to the bathing we do every day, it sounds like 55 degrees, minimum of 30 seconds. I'm glad you pointed that out because people can overdo it. And there is some potentially serious adverse reactions to our long-term health. In terms of frequency, is that if you're doing 30 seconds, sub 55 in the shower, is that like one day a week or is that every day? What What's like the bare minimum 
to see the benefits. Yeah, most of the studies that you're going to see in a lot of the physiology journals and then, you know, like the Journal of Strength Conditioning Research and some of the research done on athletes, usually it's a minimum of three times a week. Now, okay. I, I, I have not seen any deleterious impact from a 365 days a year, I'm going to take a cold shower type of approach, right? So, so more is better when we're talking about brief, consistent exposures to cold. More is not better when we're talking about taking your two-minute session and trying to make that a daily 20-minute session. But consistency kind of trumps volume. So think of cold the same way you'd think as like exercise, right? It's far more sustainable and arguably healthier for the human body to hit the gym or do an exercise session for 30 minutes a day rather than doing a six-hour workout on a Saturday, right? Which is just going to crush you and be pretty mentally difficult to get through anyway. So it's all about the brief intermittent exposures. Now, a subtle nuance regarding the timing of the dosing while we're talking about this, and, and this was, there, there was another study that just came out last week on this, so it's fresh on my mind. Cold is, it's very effective, very similar to like high dose vitamin C or vitamin E at quelling oxidation at free radical species and shutting down inflammation, which is why it's often preferred as a way to alleviate soreness or to even allow the body to recover faster ways when it's injured. The thing is though, it's so effective at that, that if you quell the body's own natural anti-inflammatory response post-exercise, you're limiting the body's ability to build new mitochondria and new muscle cells. And so for the same reason, you should not take your lovely red or green supplement or vitamin C or vitamin E or any of these potent antioxidant sources immediately pre or post-workout. You should not do your cold immediately post-workout especially if that cold is a more intense session. If you finish a workout at, let's say, 6 p.m., and we know that elevated core temperature will deleteriously impact sleep architecture. Well, based on that, jump in a quick cold shower or do a quick cold soak after that late afternoon or evening workout to cool down the body. Or let's just say you did a hard workout and you're on your way to work, you want to pit it out in the conference room because you're still sweating and your body temperature is still elevated from that workout. Well, yeah, quick cold shower is fine. But those longer cold soaks or the more intense cool, the type of cold that might leave you shivery, you should space that at least two hours after a workout or let's say work out in the morning and do like a, a sauna with a quick cold session before dinner, that type of thing. So you're spacing the cold exposure and the exercise. That's not that important if it's a quick cold shower. It's more important if it's one of these like ice bath soak type of scenario. So that's important for people to know. And paradoxically, if you get in the cold before you work out, the norepinephrine, the adrenaline, the sympathetic nervous system response to the cold is enough to where it's actually a great pre-workout booster, right? And the subtle nuance there is that as anybody knows, if you've iced your knee and you're like walking around your house and it feels like your legs kind of going to give way underneath it because those muscles are shut off. Well, you should be aware that if you're going to use cold as like a pre-workout priming strategy, make sure that you're not engaging in some really biomechanically complex lifts. Like don't do a cold bath and we go like do overhead snatches. Like this would be something that could work well before like bicycle sprints or something that's a little less biomechanically complex. But cold pre-workout is actually, it's, it's fantastic at the time prime in the body. And an ideal scenario would be you do a quick cold soak and you just like get all the norepinephrine and adrenaline, everything flowing, hop in a hot tub or a hot shower for a couple minutes and get some blood flow going back in and then go hit your workout. If you have the time to do that, it's actually a really great way 
to precurse for workout. Interesting. So before, before we go to nature bathing, I just want to clarify the statement you made. You said you don't, you're not a fan of CNE pre or post workout. Why is that? For the same reason, I'm not a fan of cold post workout because it does such a good job at shutting down the body's own natural inflammatory process that because your body's inflammatory process is the trigger to build new mitochondria, is the trigger to build new muscle cells, you're actually shutting down your body's ability to be able to get as much benefit from a workout session as it could possibly get. So again, you should wait for a couple of hours. That's generally a good time range before you like drink your superfood smoothie with all the antioxidants, take an ice bath or something like that. And, and I, I keep saying ice bath, cold water, that, that, that's, that's purposeful. The cryotherapy chambers get your body cold, but because typically many of them do not involve face, head or neck immersion. Some of them do, some of the, some of the bigger chambers that put your whole body inside. So you get less of the vagus nerve activation if your head's sticking out the top of one of those chambers. And secondarily, there's hydrostatic pressure of the water against the skin that does a much better job decreasing the body's core temperature when you're in water compared to like the cold air in a cryotherapy chamber. Uh, if I go do a cryotherapy chamber, proceed at your own risk. And a lot of times I will do like a cryotherapy session and step out, you know, after the three and a half minutes when the machine automatically turns off and then convince them to let me back in for another three and a half minutes to truly get that same type of cold response I'd get from doing cold water immersion. Interesting. Coming back to nature bathing, I will point out, you, you, you originally wanted to do the interview, you walking outside, but I was worried we wouldn't get the quality <laughs> we needed. So, so you're doing it on the treadmill. With that said, you know, let's talk about some of the benefits of being in nature, of nature bathing. And, you know, I do think we tend to go inside when it starts to get colder out, whether it's instead of going for a walk or a run, we go to the treadmill or instead of going to, you know, maybe doing a little bit of a boot camp outside or some body work outside, we go to our living room or gym if we're, if we're lucky enough to have one. So can you talk a little bit about how you view the benefits of being outside in mother nature, whether it's going for a walk or doing push-ups outside instead of inside and specifically in the cold. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you live within like about two miles of your gym and you're still driving to your gym, that's just stupid. Like you should be putting on a weight vest and walking to your gym or biking to your gym. Like, you know, for, for me, even when I travel, you know, I'll, if I'm with friends and there's a grocery store, you know, say there's a Whole Foods, like a mile and a half down the road and we get in, we're checked into our Airbnb. I'll be like, oh, let's go to old foods and stocked up, you know, some, some Pellegrino and some Zevia and some, you know, some nut butters, a little dark chocolate, grab some avocado. Sorry, let's go. Let's go get this Airbnb stocked up. I build head up to the car and I'm like, what are you doing? Oh, we're going to drive, drive to the grocery store. Like, grocery store is like a mile and a half away. Yeah, our indigenous hunter-gatherer ancestors would have walked 10 miles to go get water from the river and walked 10 miles back. We're going to walk a mile and a half to the grocery store and huck those groceries back farmer's walk style. Oh, wait, we aren't going to have time to go to the gym. Cricket silence. Why do we need to go to the gym? We're walking to get groceries and carrying heavy shit back from the grocery store. That's the gym. So, you know, it's this idea of embracing natural movement and especially outdoors movement versus like this fabricated in a box exercise session. That's, 
that's just just one of the reasons. I'll get get to some other reasons here momentarily. But you know, first of all, by going outside and exercising in the cold, especially if ambient air temperature that's relatively cool, you know, again, like that that preferably like fifty five degrees or under type of scenario. A, you're getting some of the benefits I've already talked about. Not quite as much of the bagel nerve toning as you would get from cold water immersion, but a little bit. But you're also getting all the other things that we see with cold. The conversion of white adipose tissue, storage fat, to what's called metabolically active brown fat that burns calories to generate heat. A much more healthy and metabolically active form of fat tissue that rather than creating inflammatory byproducts that circulate through your body, is actually something that's speeding up your metabolism. You get that epinephrine, noradrenaline response that increases wakefulness and alertness. You're seeing a drop in blood sugar and a stabilization of blood sugar that, you know, I wear this continuous blood glucose monitor on my arm and there's nothing. I mean, whatever, metformin, berberine, apple cider vinegar, Ceylon, cinnamon, lifting weights, Burpees, you know, all these things people tell you to do to lower your blood sugar. Nothing beats cold. If I do like a, a hefty, like one of those longer cold, and I spend 10 minutes in the ice tub in the morning, and sometimes this will be a hack for me, like on Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, like a feasty day, my blood sugar will be often like down in the 50s and lower 60s until like early evening from a morning cold exposure. There's nothing that seems to control blood sugar more than cold. So you have that metabolic effect as well. You get that decrease in inflammation I talked about, so less soreness. And then what's interesting is there's a shift of blood flow away from the brain when you're in the cold. And this is why if anybody's gotten to a cold bath and started to do like box breathing or some type of meditative form of breathing, it's far easier to shift into that down-regulated brainwave zone where you almost feel like a little bit sleepy. A little bit lethargic. That's why it's actually dangerous to a cold water swimming by yourself because a lot of times you get so sleepy and your muscles get deactivated, you drown. But the idea of just like down regulating the brain intentionally by being in cold, there's also that effect. So when we talk about working out outdoors, you know, a lot of that carries over into working out outdoors. But then the other things you get from working out outdoors is it's unpredictable. I mean, tell me that a run on a treadmill is, is not. <laughs> inferior to like a trail run where there's fluctuations in ankle mobility in side to side cutting in unpredictable terrain maybe a bunny rabbit hopping across your path i don't know but there's all sorts of things that happen outdoors that are unpredictable that are more stimulating to the mind and also to to the body when it comes to just the, just putting your body in unpredictable scenario i recently did a podcast interview with this guy where he was talking about unstable object training this idea of superior fitness gains derived from working out with like kettlebells and sandbags and kegs and unwieldy objects, even like rocks and logs, compared to like your symmetrical, predictable dumbbells or barbell. You're using all these tiny accessory core muscles that normally otherwise would not recruit to as great extent when you're in that predictable, pretty, neat, organized, symmetrical gym type of scenario. And of course, we could always play devil's advocate and say, well, if you've got some joint issues, if you've got an injury, if you're predisposed to injury, maybe you are your aging exercise enthusiast. Well, in some cases, that predictable, tidy format might be better for you, right? And, and so you do have to kind of choose your battles wisely. But for the most part, going outdoors is, is just, it's more stimulating both physically 
and mentally more unpredictable physically and mentally. Then when you show the potential for cold in, or let's face it, even you know, if it's the summer, the potential for heat and all the, you know, heat shock proteins and resilience you derive from the heat, which you know, all the benefits of those are, are just as, as, they're just as multi-variable and varied as what you get from the cold. You know, you're looking at battling the environment, battling unpredictability, shifting your brain into new scenarios. And I mean, any time that you have the option to do an exercise session outdoors rather than in a neat, tight gym, I think you should. Yeah, and to build off of that, you know, I, I, I would often joke, treadmill is just, a, a, you want to work on a treadmill, it, it's a metaphor for life. Do you want to be at a treadmill or would you rather, you know, be outside? We do, we believe that everything is connected here at Mind Buddy Green. And would you rather be outside being connected to nature, connected to, to source, be in a position where discovery is at your fingertips, yeah. where there's opportunity for introspection. And when you throw in, you know, the cold or it, it also for a lot of people puts you in a state that's a little bit uncomfortable and forces you to get out of your head in a way that I think is spiritually sound and promotes a degree of mental, physical fitness. Would, would you agree? You throw the negative ions, you throw the zero to 100 Hertz electrical signal that emanates from the planet earth. If you happen to be outside barefoot or in grounding shoes, or maybe doing bear crawling or rock climbing or tree climbing or something that allows you to connect to the planet. And then you throw in, you know, what they've found in a lot of these Japanese, you know, Shinwin Yonku forest bathing studies, where they found that even plants and trees emit these essential oils, you know, the same as the fancy ones that you might diffuse in your bedroom or in your office, you're getting exposed to all those same phenolic compounds when you're exercising outdoors. You get infrared light from the sun along with some of that UVA B that in limitation can can be good for you. You're getting exposed to so many beneficial environmental variables. And when you step back and you look at the fact that our human body is a battery, right? We operate with a certain electrochemical voltage across the cell membrane, and that battery can be decharged by non-native electrical fields like you know, Wi-Fi routers and cell phones and smart appliances and everything that we're surrounded by in our comfy indoors format. Or we can recharge that battery with negative ions, with positive frequencies from the planet Earth, with sunlight and photons of light. And we can actually keep our battery more charged by working out outdoors. And, you know, you have kids, right, Jason? Yeah, two, two girls, five and two and a half. Right. And, and I'm, I'm sure that you've certainly seen some of the research on education, on creative free play, on unpredictable environments for children on the idea that really the, the best equipped human of the future is not going to be a human who has necessarily learned to put the square peg in the square hole, the round peg in the round hole, you know, line up neatly in a row and, you know, sit and learn at the same pace as the rest of the classroom and spend a large amount of time indoors. We live in an era of automation and artificial intelligence where rote memorization and, you know, what we might call factory work is something that's able to largely be outsourced to robots and machines and technology and computer chips now. And an ideal education for a child should involve a great deal of unpredictable, creative, free play, preferably with a lot of that thrown in outdoors. And so, I mean, you know, with my own sons, Jason, not only am I unschooling, meaning like they wake up and they've just got books and toys and games and you know, outdoor playgrounds, and they just go and pursue their passions all day. And in addition to that, 
there's four things that I do every single week with my children to turn them into gritty, resilient human beings who are able to, they'll be able to adapt rapidly to unpredictable scenarios that they might face. We work out with kettlebells, we do the sauna, we do cold, and we do breath work. And that's like the Greenfield family. Like that's part of how my kids will train their kids, how their kids will train their kids. It's like kettlebells, breath, heat, and cold. You know, we do spiritual training, we do mental training, but our physical training, like those four variables are the core of what I do with my sons every single week. And I'll tell you, dude, like they're good boys. They're not little assholes, you know, who are, you know, going out and kicking other kids' asses on the plate or something like that. Like they're, you know, they're kind of artistic, poofy, woo-woo kids who just like spend most of the day watercolor painting on their walls. But I'll tell you what, like they're tough. They're great. Like if I give them, and I have done this when they were 12 years old, a wool blanket and a knife and a backpack and tell them to go off in the wilderness on their own and come back two days later, they'll do that. Right. And a big part of that is the kettlebell, the ice, the heat, and the cold. I love it. So in closing, where do you think this conversation is going to be going in the next year or so with regards to, you know, the power of the outdoors, getting outside, cold therapy? It seems like there's more and more developing science. What do you think? I think the same thing will happen with it that happens in the rest of our industry. It'll become commoditized and it'll become marketable and there will be industries built around it for profit. I'm not saying that's bad, but you know, we all found out that fasting was good for us and a high amount of circulating fatty acids in our bloodstream were good for us. And that, you know, large fluctuations in blood glucose throughout the day were bad for us. And so somebody generated the idea of maybe we should eat things that are more ketotic. And all of a sudden this entire cottage industry sprung up around getting into ketosis pro and will that break your fast and market fat bombs and you know fat ketones and, and all this stuff that, that's yeah honestly it's probably done more good than bad even though from a natural standpoint people could just stuff their faces less eat more vegetables move more and do a little bit of fasting and you know not not spend 30 bucks a day on ketogenic pop tarts but anyway so so we saw an industry pop up around that where we saw an industry pop up around cbd we saw an industry pop up around like you know, super slow training and industry pop up around kettlebells. What'll happen is, you know, I don't know about you, Jason, but we, we see all these like little recovery gyms popping up where you go get your IV and your cryotherapy session and your sauna. And maybe there's like a PMS mat there and some recovery boots and, you know, and, and it's kind of like the recovery gym. We'll just see more and more of that, like more companies yeah. marketing ice baths you can buy for your house, you know, and it, I think it'll be good to a certain extent, but what I don't want people to get fooled into thinking is that you need to have expensive shit laying around your house to get cold or to get tough or to lift it. Like basically, <laughs> well, you know, rock, a log, some ice, your breath. And if it's hot outside, maybe a couple extra layers of clothing and there you got your ice, your heat, your cold and your unwieldy object training. So I think we'll see kind of an industry pop up around it, but honestly, I think it'll do more good than bad for people. Yeah, I agree. I think with any, There'll always be, you know, startups and industries evolve to any trend that has legs. But what, what's exciting to me about this one is kind of what you said. Anyone can take a cold shower. Anyone can get outside. You know, it, it's kind of reminds me of, and I, I'm a big believer in this, back to the basics. Yeah. Back to the basics. It's not about buying more stuff or getting more things and not against like stuff and things, but 
essentially integrating a lot of what you already have at your disposal into your day. You don't have to add more time. You're already kind of, you're already going to shower. You're probably already going to get outside. So like, how can you build your yeah. routine around it? Which to me is exciting. Yeah. Put, put me on desert island, give me my Bible, my breath and a big rock and you know, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll stay pretty resilient for a while. <laughs> I love it. Ben, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Jason.